0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Okay, if you all would please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're continuing our study through the book of Luke. We're calling this an unexpected king uh, because Jesus came into this world in ways that, well, it... It was unexpected, Um, and his kingship is unlike anything that we see throughout history and we will ever see again. And so Jesus is the unexpected king, and even to the point of his death, we would not expect the king of the universe to come and to sacrifice himself for us, the people who offended him and turned away from him. You know, we we hear these stories about kings who uh, they've, well, uh, kind of a parody would be... um, the, the Disney movie, The Emperor's New Groove, where even if you were to throw off the emperor's groove, he would have you thrown out of the, the, the castle. And, but it's, a, it's funny because we've heard these stories from history where if a king is offended in the least, that they will you know, go out in extremes. But Jesus is the king of the universe, and we offended him in extreme ways, but he came and sacrificed himself for us. So this is The Unexpected King. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16, and the title of this sermon is The Twelve Apostles, because we are going to be looking at Jesus selecting his twelve apostles. And the main idea in this sermon is that Jesus' apostles are unique. Jesus' apostles are unique. Um, And so we have that broken down into three divisions. That's preparing for the decision. This is Jesus' preparation for the decision. Um, We're going to have a discussion about disciple versus apostle. And finally, we're going to look at the 12 that Jesus does choose. So preparing for the decision, disciple versus apostle, and the 12. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get right into this text. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for us together as a congregation this morning. I pray that you will open our hearts to hear the message that you have for us, God. Speak to us, Lord, and help us to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to start just in verse 12. It says, During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. So this is, it starts off with the phrase, sorry, during those days. So, so far, we've seen Jesus ministering in and around Capernaum. He's doing many miracles and he's teaching frequently. Uh, we've read a couple of times that Jesus goes outside of the city. And if you read Mark's account during this time, Jesus goes throughout Galilee. So he's not just there in Capernaum, but throughout the region of Galilee. So remember, Capernaum is a city within the region of Galilee. And so Jesus is going around all these towns. Uh, in this time, during this time, we've seen Jesus perform healings, exorcisms. He's forgiven sin. Uh, he, uh, he gives authoritative teaching, and just last week we saw that Jesus claimed to have authority over the Sabbath. And in so doing, uh, when he gave his correct teaching about the Sabbath, he, gave, uh, he severely offended the Pharisees. But after, giving, uh, after correcting their teaching about the Sabbath, Jesus seems to give an example because it says that he went out to the mountain to pray. Now, we're not told exactly what day of the week this is. If we're reading through Luke, it seems that it it could imply that this is that same day, but not necessarily um, during those days, so maybe not that same day. But in, in that time, Jesus goes out to the mountain to pray. But what he's doing is he's removing himself from his regular work to spend time with the Father, seeking his wisdom. So even if this was not on the Sabbath day, Jesus is demonstrating Sabbath, that time to rest and be uh, reinvigorated with uh, presence with the Father. And again, this highlights a pattern that first showed up in the Old Testament, and it's been showing up time and time again in the book of Luke. And that is that the wilderness can represent a place to meet with God or to listen to him or to seek God. And so while Jesus is out here on the mountain, he spends all night in prayer with God, or in prayer to God. Now, I really, I really wonder what the content of this prayer time was. Because, well, when I look at my prayer time, and hopefully you guys do, for us, right, hopefully, confessing our sins should be a major part of our prayer life. Well, Jesus didn't need to confess any sins. Also, another good prayer point, one that's on my my prayer list that i I'd would like to say. I I do every day. Um, I can't honestly say that, but I would like to say I could. Um, But a, a common, a good prayer point is to, you know, God, help me to be more like Jesus. Well, Jesus doesn't need to pray to be more like Jesus. And so we're looking at this time, Jesus spends all night in prayer to God, and you wonder, well, what was he praying for? He's spent all eternity past with the Father and the Holy Spirit, He has this deep, intimate knowledge of them. They are one. They are the Trinity. So what is he praying for? What could Jesus be praying for? What would his prayer be that it lasts all night long? Well, we do see that often Jesus has these extended prayer times before times of trouble or or struggle, like before his trial and crucifixion, or before times where he has to make a, a big decision, just like he's going to do in the next few verses, um, when, let we see, when the sun comes up in the next verse, Jesus is going to choose his 12 disciples. So Jesus, what he's doing here in this time where he's praying all night with the Father, he's, uh, he's seeking the Father's wisdom. And he wants to see God's will clearly before making this big, this big decision. These are going to be the 12 men that will follow Jesus throughout his ministry. And then, with the exception of Judas, these are going to be the men who continued Jesus' ministry after he ascends into heaven. This is no little decision. It is a major decision. But I would also guess that the majority of this time, it says he spent all night in prayer to God, I would guess that the majority of the time it was not Jesus talking. But instead, it was Jesus waiting and listening to hear God's voice, or waiting and listening to hear God's wisdom. See, when we, face, when we are faced with big decisions, the right place to go for wisdom and clarity is to God through prayer, just like Jesus does here. Often in life, our decisions, uh, are, they're not just between a right and a wrong decision. Sometimes it could be a right decision and another right decision, but maybe one would be more wise than the other one, and that's not always very clear. For example, right, and this would be a really good example maybe, you know, maybe you've been searching for a job and then you get, all of a sudden you get multiple offers. There might not be a wrong decision with that one, but one that's better than the other. Now other times in life we're faced with a right and a wrong choice, but it's not really clear which one's right or wrong. So in those moments, when we're faced with these big decisions or tough decisions, the right place for us to be is on our knees before our Father's throne. Waiting and listening for his leadership. I know for some of us, that silence is really hard to sit there in silence, waiting and listening for God. But that's the right place for us to be. And so we we continue reading, picking up in verse thirteen. <clears throat> when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose twelve of them, who he whom he also named apostles. Now, before we get into this too deep. Um, he says that he summoned his disciples and chose 12 of them. That suggests that there's a larger group there among them. As we're reading through the Gospels, we recognize that there are kind of different levels of people following Jesus. There's a large group, which is estimated to be um, at least 120, sometimes way more than that. We see Jesus feeding 5,000 at one point. Um, but there seems to be this group of about 120 that really follow Jesus around. And then from that group... He calls 12. He chose 12 to be his disciples. Now, when we read the parallel account in Mark's gospel, back, uh, sorry, in Mark chapter three, we see a very large crowd of people had gathered to hear Jesus's teaching and to be healed by him. And this group followed him wherever he would go. The crowd was so big that sometimes Jesus would have a small boat nearby so that he could launch a little ways offshore so that he wouldn't be crushed by the crowd. And it's from that group that Jesus chooses his 12 disciples. Now, I'm not one to be overly um, fanatical about numerology in the Bible, but we do have to recognize that when patterns in the Bible emerge, that usually means that there's something there for us to notice. And we see this number 12 um, happen several times in the Bible. Most scholars agree that the 12 apostles are supposed to correlate at least somewhat or somehow with the 12 tribes in Israel. Not necessarily saying that each one of the 12 apostles would come from one of the 12 tribes, but that they serve almost as a reflection of the tribes. And there's a lot of different discussion, a lot of different debate as to how exactly that plays out. We can't get too deep into that this morning. But I, do, I would agree that this, uh, the 12 apostles are somehow supposed to be a reflection of the 12 tribes. And so now let's talk about this uh, disciples versus apostles. All right, so we have this really large group of disciples, and Jesus calls 12 of them to be apostles. And these two words are not the same. We often use them interchangeably when referring to these 12, and both of these terms do apply to them, but they are not the same word. So the word disciple, uh, this would have been a common word that was used in this time, in that first century Israel, the rabbi would choose a group of disciples. And the, di- the disciple would follow the rabbi around. Every day would be right there with the rabbi, following him and listening to him and gaining his wisdom. Uh, and the rabbi would take opportunities, several opportunities throughout the day to, to give object lessons to teach the disciples. Usually it was, you know, things about um, the, the Holy Scriptures. Um, and, and so the disciple is learning to be like the rabbi. The disciple is supposed to be learning to be like the rabbi. He's trying to emulate his lifestyle. And now the word apostle, it's a different word, right? The word comes from the Greek verb apostello, which means to send out or to throw out. Not to throw away, but to throw out, like you're throwing a ball out of the window. That's the Greek verb apostello that this word apostle comes from. So an apostle is someone who has been sent out, presumably with, with, with some sort of special purpose. So which one applies to you? Are you a disciple or are you an apostle? Well, for starters, uh, do either of these terms apply to you? If you are not saved, then you are not a disciple or an apostle of Jesus. But why would you want to be, right? See, we all experience brokenness in our lives. It seems that, that this brokenness is evident now more so than any time in recent human history we see this brokenness all around us especially when we open up social media we see this brokenness all over the place but this brokenness it's not the way that this world is supposed to work this brokenness is a result of sin the world that we live in is not meant to operate in this state of brokenness your life was not supposed to operate in this state of brokenness See, we were created to be in perfect relationship with God and with each other and with the rest of creation. See, at the end of creation, God looked at his work and how everything worked in his work. God looked at creation and said, it is good. Now, the Hebrew phrase there, it is good, means that it is operating the way that it is supposed to. In other words, not broken. So this brokenness that we experience is not how God created the world to be. It is broken because of our sin. Well, it started with Adam and Eve and their first sin, but it continues because of our sin. Instead of a perfect eternal relationship with God, because of our sin, we will die and spend eternity in hell. And that's the greatest brokenness that we have. That's why Jesus came. He came to take that punishment for us. He paid our penalty and took our guilt on the cross. He was sacrificed so that we could be reconciled with God. When we place our faith in him, when we surrender to him, when we follow him, we are saved. Then we can pursue that perfect design in the rest of our lives. But once you are saved, once you are saved, are you then an apostle or a disciple? Well, I would argue that to some extent, each and every one of us are both. We are both apostles and disciples. We see these terms used throughout the New Testament to describe believers, But let's explain how they both apply to you. A Christian is a disciple because we are following Jesus' leadership in our lives, learning from him and trying to emulate his life in our own. That's a pretty good explanation of the disciple-rabbi relationship that I described in first century Israel. But then in Acts 1.8 and in Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus gives us a mission to spread the gospel to all parts of the world. We have been sent out to make disciples. That might mean that you are sent to Europe, like Keith and Talia, or to other parts of the country, like the Nam missionaries that we're supporting through Annie Armstrong, or maybe to the people across the street, or in the next office over, or in the next classroom over. So, we are both disciples and apostles. You are being sent to the lost to make disciples, and so we are both disciples and apostles. But I do think we need to make some distinction for these twelve These are the twelve that Jesus called during his ministry and specifically named them as apostles. The way that I make this distinction is that I consider these twelve apostles as like capital A apostles. They are apostle proper. And the rest of us are like lowercase a apostles, like uh, unofficial apostles. But since we're talking about these capital A apostles, let's look at who Jesus named as his apostles. When we look at the list, we see that Luke has them broken down into six pairs using the word and. And what's quite funny about this list is how prominent and famous some of these names are and just how others, some of these other names are almost completely unknown outside of these lists. So we'll start with the first two. We have Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So Simon Peter possibly the most famous of the Twelve Apostles, one of the first ones that Jesus called to be a disciple. Peter would become the leader of the early church, and the Catholic Church would eventually rep- recognize him as the first pope. Peter was one of Jesus' inner circle, and this is his three closest friends. He would also write letters that would be recognized as biblical. Right? The, the books we know as First and Second Peter were written by this Peter. But we also, when we look at Peter's actions during Jesus's life, during Jesus's ministry, we see that Peter is, well, he's a hothead. And a lot of times he's so quick to speak that he ends up putting his foot in his mouth a lot. And he's so quick to speak that Jesus frequently, it seems like, has some pretty strong rebukes for Peter. All right. And then we look at Andrew, right? So as stated, obviously here, Andrew is Peter's brother. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us much about Andrew but Matthew indicates that uh, Andrew was in the boat with Peter when Jesus calls them to be disciples And that's about all we have on Peter or on Andrew I'm sorry and then we look at James and John all right, so James and John are also brothers their father's name is Zebedee so you might see them called the sons of Zebedee but they are better known as the nickname that Jesus gives them Jesus gives them the nickname as the sons of thunder probably because of their bombastic personalities there's a story in Luke 9 where Jesus and his disciples, they're heading into a town and they're not treated very hospitably. And these two brothers ask Jesus if they should ask God to rain judgment down on these towns. There's your sons of thunder right there. The story of their call to be disciples seems maybe contradictory in, a couple, in the different Gospels. But when you read them, when you read about them in Luke, it seems like they were, in, uh, they were called at the same time as Simon and Andrew. Indeed, we see that they were there in the boats when Simon and Andrew were called, but Luke doesn't actually say that they were invited or responded at that time, just that they were impressed with Jesus. Matthew and Mark indicate that their call was after Peter and Andrew's call, probably pretty quickly afterwards, but not at the same time. All right, so James, right, James, unlike Peter, is not the author of the book that shares his name. The Most prominent James in the New Testament is Jesus' brother, who is not this James. This James is not the James that's Jesus' brother. Uh, Though we do have some information on this James, he is not quite as well known as some of the other disciples or uh, apostles. And then John. John, like his brother, shares the name of another prominent Bible character. This John is not John the Baptist, but rather the John who would be better known as John the Revelator or the one that Jesus loved. This John is the one who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Peter, James, and John make up Jesus' closest friends, uh, the closest circle of friends. Reading through the, le- the rest of the life of Jesus, pay attention, and you'll see that when Jesus calls a smaller group forward from the 12, it's going to be these three, Peter, James, and John. Of these three, John is Jesus' closest friend. Also, Peter, Andrew, James, and John are the first four disciples that Jesus gives a formal invitation to be a disciple, and they're all fishermen. All right, our next pair, we have Philip and Bartholomew. Bartholomew is probably the same person uh, as Nathaniel in John 1, when Philip and Nathaniel received their calling to be one of Jesus' disciples. So Philip does not get mentioned much outside, or much in scripture outside of this conversation, uh, sorry, outside of his conversion story and the, the list of the names of apostles. There are two other stories where Philip is mentioned in the feeding of the 5,000 and a story in John 12. But other than that, we don't get too much from him. And this does not seem to be the same Philip that we read about in Acts. All right, so now Bartholomew. As I've already stated, he also goes by the name of Nathaniel. Other than the conversion story, we're not told much about him. But the details in that story suggest that Bartholomew had a thorough understanding of Old Testament scripture. Now, even though the Bible doesn't tell us much about Bartholomew or Nathaniel, The church tradition does fill in some blanks for us. Now, typically, generally, we should consider church tradition to be considered trustworthy. However, it is not scripture, and it does not carry the same weight as the Bible. But church history tells us, well, you might hear me say church history or church tradition. Um, That's kind of interchangeable. But church history tells us that Bartholomew would become a missionary, and that he would go to either or both India and Armenia, and that he would be martyred for his faith in our media by being flayed open and crucified upside down. And then we look at Matthew and Thomas. These are the next two. So Matthew, who's also named Levi, he's the tax collector that we read about a couple weeks ago. And then Thomas. Thomas's name means twin. And many have tried to identify Thomas's twin in Scripture, but most scholars agree that either the twin isn't mentioned or we don't know enough about the other characters to know what, if they were actually Thomas's twin. Though Thomas accepts this call to be a disciple, there are several times when he questions Jesus' leadership or questions Jesus' teaching and he even doubts claims of Jesus' resurrection. And that's why he gets the nickname Doubting Thomas, that's right. All right, uh, next two, we have James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot. All right, James takes on a smaller role in the New Testament than James, the son of Zebedee. Thus, he gets the nickname James the Less. Other people speculate maybe that nickname James the Less came because he was younger than the other James or shorter than the other James, but short people don't get picked on, right? Um, (laughs) This James is probably the cousin, sorry, he's probably Jesus's cousin, with Alphaeus being Mary's brother. We actually see James's mother present with Mary at the crucifixion. Right, see, there was Jesus' mother Mary, then there was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James. So the three Marys, one of those Marys is um, James' mom, which would have been Mary's sister-in-law. That doesn't get confusing at all. And then we have Simon. All right, This is the one... Uh, sorry, with this one, we really have to pay attention. Because there are several Simons listed in the New Testament. But we actually don't hear much about this Simon in the rest of the New Testament, other than simply saying that he's grouped in with this group of 12, or 11, after Judas' betrayal. The most that we get to see about him comes from this phrase, that he's called the Zealot. Simon called the Zealot. See, the Zealots were a group of Jews who had a fierce advocacy for Mosaic ritual and adherence to Mosaic law. They also led protests and riots against Roman rule over Israel. The zealots were often arrested or put to death because they were protesting Roman rule. It's not too much of a stretch to think that this Simon would have hopes that Jesus would be the Messiah that would drive out the Romans and reestablish Israel as an independent sovereign kingdom. So Simon the zealot might have had those, those kingly expectations for Jesus. In our last two, we get Simon, the son of James. I'm sorry, Simon. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So there are actually six different Judases listed in the New Testament. So first, let's talk about Judas, the son of James. He's only mentioned mentioned specifically one other time in the New Testament, and that's to ask Jesus a question. Church tradition is almost equally vague on this Judas but suggests that he may have become a missionary uh, in what would become modern-day Turkey. And finally, we get to Judas Iscariot, the treasurer of the disciples. He was the one who was in charge of keeping up with the money, but he's definitely the most infamous name on this list. Jesus calls this traitor to be one of his apostles, to follow him. Well, that would be his disciple. Jesus called him to be an apostle, This means that this traitor is going to go out and spread the news about Jesus. Judas Iscariot, the traitor, is going out on mission trips for Jesus. I don't think this was a mistake on Jesus' part or on the Father's part, but a move that would be integral in fulfilling Jesus' mission. Actually, I can say pretty definitively that this is not a mistake on Jesus' part or a mistake on God's part. Now, our application... So we just kind of did a a real quick character dive into these 12, our application from this passage. First is to know that prayer is essential. We see time and time again that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who has been in perfect relationship with the Father and the Son for all eternity, makes time to have focused and prolonged prayer time. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus found a secluded place and and prayed all night before making this big announcement in this big decision. How much hubris does it show if we think that we can get by with less prayer time than Jesus? So if you're facing a tough decision, don't forget to spend extra time, focused time on that prayer point, waiting and listening for God to speak to you. That's the hard part, right? Extended time waiting and listening for God to speak to you. Our B application is to be comforted by this list. The list of 12 apostles is nothing like what would have been expected from a rabbi or someone who was even putting together a group of friends. These 12 probably would not have been drawn together outside of Jesus. Outside of Jesus calling them, many of them would have probably been enemies. Most likely, they—they they, or more than likely, they, they would not have been friendly towards each other at all. So you have Simon the Zealot, who may have been participating in organized efforts to oust the Roman government, alongside Matthew, the tax collector, who was working with the Roman government. You have common folks, like fishermen, and others who are relatively unknown. We have Peter, who often speaks before he thinks, and he gets himself in trouble, but he becomes one of the most prominent figures in the New Testament. And right alongside them, you have Judas Iscariot, who would eventually betray Jesus and this group. If Jesus calls these folks to follow him, and to to be his apostles, don't be afraid that you're not good enough. Don't be afraid that you're different from other Christians. And see, that's okay, because Jesus came to save all of us. Everyone, from the religious zealots to the blue-collar workers, and folks who prefer to stay in the background, Jesus came for all of us. Jesus' followers and missionaries are all unique, and we're all very different. That's not a downfall. That's not a negative. That's That's a good thing. That we're all different. I mean, it might be difficult sometimes that we're all different, but it's a good thing that we're all different because we all have different um, personalities and and different um, talents and and different gifts that God can use for uh, use in our lives. We are not the same. We all have our own unique contribution to the church body. Paul often describes the church, uh, the, the the followers of Jesus, as a body, and talks about body parts, right? If every single one of us was a pinky, right? Think about your body. If every body part that you had was a pinky, you wouldn't function very well as a human, right? Instead of a brain, you have a pinky. Instead of two eyes, you have two pinkies. Instead of a nose, you have a pinky. Instead of a heart, you have a pinky. Instead of a liver, you have a pinky. Instead of feet, you have pinkies. That wouldn't work very well. In the same way, all of us are unique and we have a unique contribution to the body. And our due application, well, is to go out on mission. I guess I could have said our due application is to be an apostle, somebody that Jesus has sent out on mission. I've already said there's a difference between the capital A apostles and the little a apostles. But that doesn't change the fact that we are called to simply follow Jesus and follow Jesus' commands In Acts 1-8 and Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus gives us a clear mission to take the gospel across the world and across the street. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that's in your word. And Lord, we thank you for all these different personalities that we see in the Apostles. Lord, I pray that you will help us to grow closer to you in this. Help us, Lord, to fulfill the mission that you've given each and every one of us, God. Help us to be apostles sent out by you on mission. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash mills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.